This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. And we are back. This is Real Presence Live. Just uh, finished visiting with Bishop John Folda of the Diocese of Fargo. We thank him so much for being here. And now we're going to head into a conversation with Father Jim Ermer. Father James Ermer, how are you this morning? Fine, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here with us this morning. We sure appreciate it. You know, we've been talking about uh, the Eucharist and the Eucharistic revival coming up, and one of the questions I really kind of want to ask everybody is, uh, how, how have you encountered Christ in the Eucharist? So tell us your story of an encounter with Christ uh, in the Eucharist, or, or going back as far as you want, how has uh, Christ revealed himself to you? Well, I looked at that question when you sent you, like, do an interview, and I thought, that's an interesting question for me, because uh, uh, I would say... Big on a big picture, it's abiding presence in the when in the gathering of the people, the songs, the environment set up in the church, as well as certainly the, the Eucharist itself, the elements, the bread and wine that become the body and blood of Christ. But it's a it's a big mystery, a big big abiding presence for me. It's a comforting place to be, uh, and obviously, you know, you're entering into something kind of sacred and divine. Yeah, you know, the, the church talks to us as, as the Eucharist being the, the central point, the source and summit of our Catholic faith. Tell us, can you unwrap that for us a little bit? What, what does that mean? Well, that's a great question. And uh, when you talk about source and summit, certainly Vatican II talked about that in the Constitution of Sacred Liturgy, that that should be everything from which the life of the church flows from and to which we all go for the kind of strength and encouragement and nourishment that we need as a people of faith. Uh, but I suppose there's a lot of... I, I like to think of my journey into this, because uh, when you asked for the interview, I thought, gee, this is kind of interesting. I started off as a young kid in Walhalla, being raised on a farm, and uh, my dad was Catholic at the time that I was born. My mother's Presbyterian. She joined later joined the church when I was in the second, third grade. But um, it was kind of interesting. Went to church on Sunday. We lived in a culture where that was just something. Sunday was the Lord's Day, and so what you do on the Lord's Day was go to church. That wasn't even question. So I did that. That was a kind of, a, from that, a, an interesting place. So it's become a local place in my own life. And I go back to Walla, go walking into St. Boniface Church is, is quite interesting. Then I went to Catholic grade school uh, for six grades, and of course taught by the Sisters of uh, Mary the Presentation of the Valley City uh, Nuns, the French Presentation Sisters, and of course... I was thinking back as I was coming in today, yeah, I remember we going over the church and they're teaching us how to genuflect before the Blessed Sacrament and the tabernacle and make sure we did it on the right knee. And it was, and they were, okay, that's the way we do it kind of thing. I think what really, when my faith came most alive in terms of the Eucharist uh, was certainly, I think, uh, when I entered the seminary. And you entered all those classes. And uh, uh, to me, uh, I was kind of trained when I got my STL degree a number of years ago from the Dominicans. They're very different than the Franciscans. There's different spirituality there. The, you know, Thomas Aquinas, uh, he was one who always thought the religious life is led by the intellect. And the will is expected to kind of come around. And her. The Franciscans are much more that emphasize the will. And the intellect kind of just falls into place. And to me, I've, when I've loved about the seminary and learning much more deeply, when you get into scripture, about the Last Supper account, the institution of the narrative, then you get into some sort of, you know, the, the theology, the history of the church and the fights over ecumenism in terms of where the Eucharist fell in the life of, let's say, the Protestant reformers. Uh, and then, of course, you come and become a priest, and all of a sudden the kind of issues that emerge that, uh, you know, can, who can receive communion? 
and what is our communion policy, you know, whether non-Christian, non-Catholic churches have, uh, you know, maybe open communion policies, we don't. All that stuff forces, I think, a priest, to me, go back and dig deeper and more intellectually into this rich tradition. And I think that's where my faith has become much more alive in doing that. And therefore, you see that, that when I come to Eucharist, like I said, abiding presence, there's a lot of things going on in the Eucharist, obviously, of all those things going on, the, the body and blood, it, once consecrated, become the body and blood of Christ, and we enter into communion with the Lord, is, is to me, my journey. It's been kind of a more intellectual journey uh, into the depth of that. And uh, so I would say that's why uh, I don't, because I'm not kind of that will guy, the heart guy, that maybe the Franciscans are. Some people have very unbelievable encounters. I love listening to that, because in the end, Thomas Aquinas says, in heaven, it's going to be the will. That leads, not the intellect. Intellect is a gift on this earth, leading us, and hopefully the will sees that as an absolute good and wraps its arms around it in the embrace of love. But in heaven, everything's going to be the embrace of love. The intellect plays a pretty minor league part in that gift of heaven. So it's kind of interesting. So, so what? Oh, go ahead. So, so Father, uh, you know, you talk about the intellect and and and, and the heart and, and the will, uh, but in the end, there's a level of intimacy that we have with that Eucharist. Right. And would you say a little bit more about that? I'd say that is what I've always been intrigued when people talk about that in their own life. I can't necessarily say I've had that kind of encounter at that level. Okay. But I would say Aquinas would say, that's where you're supposed to end up. That's the heavenly thing. And so when people have that, they've been gifted with a with a gift, I think, from heaven that they can see that as, you know, maybe in terms of a friendship, of a, in terms of a really a close and an intimacy that um, that I would say that uh, that's where we're all expected to lead. Okay. I think I'm still on a journey towards that. As am I. As am I. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you said, the, the Lord leads intellectually. And, of course, we have many, many conversations on Catholic Radio where they, they talk about the intellectual journey. So so tell us, what are the things that stand out to you um, intellectually that, that leads you to a faith in the Christ in the Eucharist? Well, I think, you know, that's a, that too is like a, a, a question that has a lot of... Um, um, points to it. And by that I mean, uh, when you get into Scripture, you know, that means you've got to accept Scripture as the Word of God. Uh, and so when you get into that, and you get into sort of the fights that have happened in history, you know, the Greek says, Martin Luther himself would have said in his fight with John Calvin in terms of my, what we call the Presbyterian Church, this, the my body, this my blood. And he was a Greek, he was a Scripture scholar, uh, knew Greek well, he could see nothing but saying that that is. This isn't symbolic. This is, And you start getting into these kinds of intellectual discussions that have happened and the heresies that have happened about and how do sacraments work, you know. And that's uh, another thing that I think intellectually that probably was quite compelling is when you talk about Christ's real presence. Uh, I'm always taken in by this. When I taught the catechism, which you were part of my one, the one you are at the seminary there, Steve, uh, uh, in the liturgy, it talks about, in, in paragraph 1085, I've always kind of remembered that, what struck me as unbel- a really great paragraph. It was about, you know, uh, being Christ, being a divine person, not a human person. And I think that distinction becomes really a profound kind of an introduction. So when Christ died, did God die? And most people say, uh, I don't think so. And you get, you so what happened there? And the paragraph 1085 talks about that's a unique kind of a death because he's a divine person. God doesn't die, but in everything in a human way, his body and soul separates in those three days. He's absent from earth. 
you know, the, the resurrection is that coming back in the glorified body. But therefore, his historical life, every time it's remembered in any age to come, he becomes present because he lives in the divine eternity. His was an event that happened 2,000 years ago and then passed into sort of the dustbin of history. Because he's a divine person, it lives forever. And so when we faithfully celebrate the sacraments, do what he told us to do in memory of him, he becomes present. And I think that that's the kind of intellectual dream. Wow, that's a way of explaining that I've never quite heard even in the seminary. Uh, but the catechism, when I kind of thought that that was a great gift for me, and it makes begin, to, and you start unpackaging that kind of thing. Okay, so where does some of the more practical issues that happen in um, you know the the history of the church and the pastoral practices that were that we have in the church? You know, where does it all fit together well and cohesively and cogently, so that people can understand that? Because it's a sadness, uh, uh, I think, today as a as a parish priest, how many people have left the practice of the faith? I don't think out of it. I don't think it's about against the faith kind of thing. But when I hear people really talk about it, they don't have a personal experience. And uh, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't pass that muster of personal experience, if I can't put it together through my own kind of mind or through my own kind of experience, it becomes irrelevant. Not I'm against it. It may be good for you. Not, it's not for me. And that's the way that becomes has become so watered down, I think, historically. We have lost a sense that there's a nature to the world in which we live, and I'm the one that defines if I want it or if I don't want it, if it's good or not good kind of a thing. You know, you go, wow. Uh, so we've entered into a different phase. When I was a young kid, you just basically, mom and dad, so we're going to church on Sunday, and everyone did it. The community was all there. No one disagreed with that. Everyone was coming. But I think we entered into, you know, in the 60s and 70s, into and that was a historically something that was happening a lot before the sixties and seventies. It kind of kind of took root in a big sense uh, in the sixties and seventies, where personal experience, personal autonomy, becomes the measure by what as I either think is true or right or good. And you can have yours, and I can have mine. And truth becomes like this vapid reality that whoever it is, I don't know where it's at. And uh, so that's I think the struggle we're in today. So I still think the intellect leads the will. So. I do a lot of things on trying to make an intellectual kind of case and see things here and how they come together and why church laws are written the way they are about the Eucharist. Uh, so I, I'm still committed to that, but I think we've got a long ways to go in the intellectual journey. So, Folks who just joined us, we're visiting with Father Jim Ermer. He is the pastor at St. Leo's in Castleton. Do you have any? Uh, and St. Thomas. And St. Thomas as well. Uh, this is Real Presence Live. We do have to step away for a break, but on the other side of the break, I want to talk to you, uh, Father Ermer, about John 666 and John 653, where, uh, you know, the Lord says something very clearly and half of the people walk away. So this whole, uh, you know, not this not understanding the Eucharistic Lord is, is nothing new. But uh, we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. This is Real Presence Live. We'll be right back. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet our customers' production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. 
SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through planned giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of planned giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these planned gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our planned giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. This is Real Presence Live in studio here. Tom O'Keefe along with Steve Splonskowski. And uh, we're having some great conversations, huh, Tom? You bet we are. Yeah, we're going to start this segment, folks. I want to read something to you from Scripture. I'm going to jump into John 6.53. Uh, John 6.53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has, e- has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. Then I'm going to jump over to John six six six. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? Uh, Father Ermer, we, we've recently entered in the conversation about how so many Catholics don't believe in the Eucharist, and we're surprised by the surveys that say that a high percentage of Catholics don't believe Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. This isn't something new. I mean, when, when Christ brought it up from the very first time, the majority of people walked away. Talk to us a little bit about that. What, how does that strike you? Well, that's an interesting passage, because I think uh, we should look at that in context. I always feel sometimes we take things out of context in scriptures. Remember that started with Christ feeding the 5,000. And it's interesting to go back what he did there. I've always been intrigued by that miracle story when the disciples are the one who tell Jesus, why don't you let the crowds go? And he says, you know, to get something to eat at the local villages and, and places. And he says, well, feed them yourself. And he must know that they don't have practically enough food. But that's kind of a, right there, you're getting an impetus on the part of the Lord that I expect you to give your all. When you give your all, 12 baskets, wicker baskets full, when you, when you really enter into the, the grace of the Lord, things happen. We can't see that, and that is always a stumbling block in this. So when 
they get fed, they track them down the next day, and you know they, he says, "I know why you're here because you had your bellies filled yesterday. You want I'm this eternal refrigerator. You'd like to." And he says, "You should work for the life, work the the food that doesn't end." And they, "Wow, where is that?" You know, and that's when he gets into this great bread of life discourse. I'm the bread of life, and they go. Uh, now there, he's pulling him into like, whoa, where are we going with this story? And then he ends it, you know, unless you, this my my blood is real drink, my body is real food, you know, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood, you have no life in you. And these people go, that sounds like cannibalism. I mean, really? And, you know, he's asking us to think at a much deeper level. That's kind of always the intellectual. What is this level that the Lord is always pulling us to when he, the disciples said, feed him yourselves? Well, he knows practically they don't have food. But he's asking them to enter into another realm of being. And that's, I think, the, the gift. So at the end, yeah, the practical side is many people said, this is too hard to take. We're going to walk away. But what does Peter say, you know, at the end of that story? You know, what do you think? Do you two want to walk away too? We believe you're the son of God. You have the word of life. You know, we're not walking away. That interesting how that happened. They spent three years with the Lord, though, these apostles. They saw a lot of things that I'm sure they didn't understand. And you know, very end, that near as Jesus gets to the end of the, his walk to Jerusalem in Luke's gospel, they're still not understanding who's the greatest are arguing among themselves. This is not an easy journey into this gift of faith and particularly the gift of Eucharist. And say, whoa. Uh, and if that is his word, man, we have to really sit back and ponder that in deep meditation. Cause, and that's where I think you're, you're, you fall in love. When you really understand, like from Peter's perspective, what that is, you have the words of eternal life, O oh Lord, where else would we turn? You know, and uh, so I'm always interested in giving the kinds of images, the kind of phraseology, the kind of maybe examples from the natural world that would get us kind of on that journey of, uh, of a gift like that. The same way with the Trinity, you know, the Trinity, that's why I always think, always intrigued in the, in the ordinary time of the year, we always begin this ordinary time with first the solemnity of the Trinity and it's always followed by the Eucharist, the corporate is body and blood of Christ Sunday. And you say, why is that? Because you can't walk this ordinary time unless you know, first of all, who God is, that you're made in his image, is this triad of love, a lover of beloved and the spirit of love. That's how we're made. So what is that father dimension of love? You go out of yourself. What's the son dimension? You love unto giving everything sacrificially. And for how long? The spirit dimension, forever. That's how we're made. And you go like, whoa. That seems like impossible. That's why the church says, and the next Sunday is followed by the most holy body and blood of Christ Sunday, because that is, on yourself, you know, on your own enterprise, you're not walking this thing. This is a grace. This is pure gift. And what is Corpus Christi? It's it's really, to me, the ritualization of the Trinity. It's the Father sending his Son, who becomes present by the power of the Spirit on every altar in the church. So Corpus Christi Sunday, or most holy body and blood of Christ Sunday, is that sort of incarnation of that trinity and we see it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday this God comes to us by the Father sending his Son on that altar being made present by the power of the Spirit that we call upon those gifts of bread and wine now that's the intellectual journey whether that touches anybody or they're just like Jesus well I think I a little hard to take I'm going to walk away well I think as you bring up a couple of great points uh, the first one is is that you have to, you know, Archbishop Fulton Sheen often tells the story. When you talk about Christ, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Right. You have exactly. to decide. That's kind of how that comes down, and how do you present that to a way that people begin to start thinking about this from a lot of different angles and saying, 
That makes sense. You know, I, this doesn't con. This isn't contrary to reason, but you realize it's it's a, at a reasonableness at a level that is like you know the saying: the heart has mind uh, reasons the mind knows not. You know, it's like Saint. But John Newman, Korot Korlokitor, the the symbolism for Newman centers. You know, heart speaking to heart. That's not an intellect. But how do you get to that? I I think that's why I'm kind of as committed more to that, trying to present, explain make sense out of uh, things that maybe, uh, like the apostles, if you sit with the Lord enough years of your life, it, this is really reality. This is the real stuff. Well, this take, is the source and summit. And that takes us back to that encounter as we started the conversation. Okay. You have to encounter Christ to believe exactly. in the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah I'm more of a, a heart guy because I don't <laughs> have the intellect that you have, Father, but I was looking, as I was preparing for this interview, I was looking at the Catechism Paragraph 1327, it says, our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist. And the Eucharist, in turn, conform, confirms our way of thinking. So it kind of validates for me a little bit what you're talking about here, is that you know, we're, we're just, our minds are, are oriented towards that, that, that Eucharist. Yeah, I think if we're made in the image and likeness of God, we have to be. To absent self one from the Eucharist, is really, I, that has to be not very close to the Lord and close to the, the, the reality of God in, in all of high, life and time and history. But that's hard. That's a nice intellectual concept. How do you make people say, really? Uh, that seems like well, really blowing a lot of hot air there, aren't you, Father? No. But, and that's why when the church teaches those things, you say, well, how do you get people to see that? Because I think that there's a lot of Catholics are pro forma. They come to church, some probably because of an obediential sense that you know, that church says, if you don't, that's a serious sin. You know, but I, I was, remember when I got my moral theology degree uh, in over in Rome, taught by the Dominicans, and uh, there was this great book called Surveys Pinker, Source of Christian Ethics. And his thing was, the modern world, he says, is uh, we, live, we lived in a world of obedience. That's the kind of the medieval world, you know, where people in authority said things and you did it by out of obedience. You believe that they had all sorts of right to do that. But we're moving in generational wisdom. We need to make sense to people. This isn't an obediential world anymore. This is a world that's asking, show me. Make sense. Make it come alive. That's the challenge in this world. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Mon, or sorry, Father uh, Jim Ermer, thank you so much for being here with us this half hour. We sure appreciate the conversation and, uh, and your wisdom. Thank you. All right, folks, this is Real Presence Live, and we are going to step away, but we have another Real Presence Live show coming on Monday, and Trez is going to give us a little preview. Trez. Yeah, so on the next Real Presence Live, Monday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Mike Kudrowski and Father David Richter are your hosts, coming to you live from Bishop Ryan Catholic School's golf tournament in Minot. Lindsay Wald will be on to talk about helping Catholic schools look to the future. Then Father Brandon Wolf from the Diocese of Bismarck will join us to share how he is starting a new chapter as Dean of Students. And Marlo Nelson will tell us what it takes to pull off a great golfing event and have a little fun in the process. All that and much more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live. That's on Monday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you. Thanks, Trez. And uh, Tom, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. It was a privilege. I, I learned a lot this morning. Real blessing for me. Awesome. And we, uh, Father Irma, you're still in the studio here, but we just have a couple minutes at the end of the hour. What, what uh, as, our, as our listeners are out there uh, thinking about... Uh, this uh, Eucharistic revival uh, and uh, entering into a counter with Christ. What do you recommend for them? How do they take that step? Well, I was really quite intrigued to hear that we're going to be doing this. I told Bishop Fulda, 
came by an electoral kind of thing. I said, this is a great time to go through some Eucharistic heresies, you know, I mean, classes, so that people can understand why this thing got so defined and, and became such a powerful image in life of the church. I, and I think history, um, there's a lot of things that we could learn from that. And he said, wow, you can maybe you have you do that. I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm not. I wouldn't mind going or maybe being a presenter. But I think that's one thing as yeah. we go through this revival. We need to have a little more history of this and starting right from Scripture. And there you go. Where it comes from. Well, we'll have to talk about that more, Father Ermer. That would be a great thing to do. Folks, this is Real Presence Live. Continue uh, to listen to what we have here coming up next on Real Presence Live. Uh, great information, of course, unpacking the, uh, the Supreme Court decision and uh, getting the truth of that. And continue to pray for those who are affected uh, by the, these decisions we make in life. I mean, life is, uh, is sacred. And so we need to put that message out there through our actions. Uh, make sure that you treat everybody today that their life is sacred. Treat everyone with the joy of Christ. And uh, we uh, thank you for being with here with us, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Tom, any thoughts? No, just a beautiful a beautiful day. Get out there, and if you have the opportunity this weekend, approach the Eucharist a little bit differently. To try to assess where it's at in your life and how you can move forward both intellectually and emotionally to <laughs> right, kind of become yeah. an intimate relationship with the Eucharist. Awesome. Right. This is Real Presence Live. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.